rock and roll! Welcome to another episode of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that brings you the coolest violinists alive. This is a special episode. It's not our typical interview with a single player. This is a compilation of a bunch of phone calls I've had with various cats, almost all of which have been featured so far in this podcast. We're calling this The Lost Episode. I'll reveal later in the podcast how this whole thing came to be, but the basic idea is that most of the players I know have a story about losing their instrument. So here are a bunch of those stories. And because this is a music podcast, I'll play some of the artists' work while we're listening to their story. Right now, we're actually listening to one of my original tunes called Exile. But enough of that. Let's get to the stories. The first story is a chat with Patrick Contreras from episode 24. This was actually recorded in his rehearsal studio in Fresno, California a couple weeks ago. The music underneath is his tribute to Eddie Hazel, the tune Maggot Brain. Yeah, so tell me about a time that you that you lost your instrument. Oh man, okay, so I lost my instrument. I was in uh, Morro Bay, which is in the central coast of California. Really pretty little coastal town. So I played a show, and, uh, and it was a wild show. First time in that city. Pack show, you know, for some of you out there, rock violinists or whatever, when you just like sweat after the show and you're like that good feeling. Yeah, it's like you've rocked it, you know, and you're all sweaty and you're like, all right, let's go get some food or a beer or something after and just revel in the success. So, <laughs> uh, so that's what we did. And, um, we were leaving, and uh, it was like we stopped. I had to get gas, so we stop at a gas station. And it's dark, hundred percent dark. Um, that's all I remember. Like it was super dark, and there was no light. But that was the only place that was open in this small little city that had gas. We needed gas, so we got gas, and then we went into San Luis Obispo, which is like fifteen miles away. Got food. I think we went out to a bar or something. And whatever, just had a drink, and then called it a night. So I get up the next morning, and we had another show down the couple hundred miles or whatever so we have to get up early hit the road not hang out too long and uh where's my violin i'm looking i'm freaking out like i'm first like it's in the car you're checking it's not anywhere to be found and i'm just like oh my gosh so i call um <laughs> i call like the police department and i'm like i'm freaking out because this is my polish Classical violin, $15,000 instrument. Yeah. That may not be a lot to some. That's a lot to me. And it's my beauty. It's, you know, it's like what I saved in our life. You're playing in bars with a $15,000 violin? <laughs> First mistake, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm like freaking out. I call the police department. I'm like, where is it at? You know, or asking, have you seen? Nothing, nothing. I'm calling everybody. And then everybody's getting on social media because I rocked the place the next night. Everybody in town. So they're, new to me, so they're hitting everybody up on social media and everybody's like doing like a look for it right right <laughs> it's so funny like i had a whole team of search crew nothing nothing so i'm just like on the verge of like just giving up everything at that point because of course i didn't have a backup violin right i'm like well this ruins the gig you know yeah. everything <laughs> everything's my room we just had an epic yeah. night yeah and now we're ruined you know so i we're leaving we're about to get on the freeway like, you know, remember we stopped at that gas station to get gas? 
you know, it's midday by this point. It was late last night when we stopped there, like 2 a.m. I was like, well, let's just, let's just check. I'm like, and I start to remember now, like play it back way then. I took it out because it was dark in the car because the guys were all squished in, so we had to take out some instruments to get out. Oh, right. You know, so I remember placing my violin case by the gas. And I'm thinking, I'm starting, it's all starting to hit me. I'm like, oh no. And so like, I, we get to the station, I'm like, getting anxious. And I run out and I don't see it. <coughs> oh no, so I'm gonna go run inside to get, to ask the guy, did he pick up a violin? Did he turn on a violin? As I'm going inside, I see my silver case by the front door. Just laying, oh, just laying, there. laying there, and oh people are walking God. by, no idea. Oh no! Someone had placed it there, you know. But how many people would walk? This is a gas station by the freeway. Yeah. So I'm sure hundreds of people that morning would walk by, and no one picked it up. And uh, I got my island back, and so I mean, I still get crap to this day. Well, but I when I go so, back yeah, there, yeah. like the people remembered, hey, you got your violin with you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, not my $15,000 one. Yeah. I wanted to leave the house anymore. Honestly, that was like what first, because I have a really beautiful Zeta violin, but it's it's replaceable with a little bit of saving still, so I don't want to lose it, but the other one's not so replaceable. Yeah. And so I, I, I that kind of led me to first be like, you know what, I'm going to violin. For one... Having this nice instrument in bars, right? It's picking up cigar smoke, you know, the whole nine, you know. Just <laughs> this doesn't need to be out. I might leave it at a gas station. Yeah, I might leave it at a gas station. That so I got it back, and I was just like, thank you, you know. Never had that feeling, but yeah, that was the time I lost. So, uh, so what? What was this say? How honest the people are in Morro Bay, right. California. There you go. That nobody moved to Morro Bay. Nobody touched it. They just left it alone. So. Either honest or just they have no idea. Or ignorance. Either, <laughs> yeah. but I'll take either or. So that's my story. Awesome. This next story is from Ross Holmes in episode seven. We'll be listening some tunes from his latest release, Not Very Good at Winning, while he and I are chatting. You've got a story about getting separated from your instrument. Oh, dude, yeah. So this is, it's a pretty tame story. It's, it's wild enough. But so we were, last year, uh, man, I'm, I'm always so meticulous about taking care of my instruments. It's just a, uh, it's a thing. I've, I've never lost or left anything behind. And the, uh, the being separated from my instrument in this story wasn't my fault. It was my fault, but it really wasn't my fault. So I take the, um, the glasser is my my backup violin. I leave, leave it with the uh, with the gear with the dirt band in case something happens with my main violin. And uh, we had played this festival uh, down in Florida, down in like Panama City, I think. And the um, the backstage artist area was pretty awesome. They had a uh, an oyster bar. They had these three dudes back there shucking oysters and grilling oysters. You could have them any which way. And uh, then, the, of course, a big open bar, you know, kind of beach, tiki hut vibe backstage. And so we got done uh, playing our set, and we were we were killing time before the, the bus was going to roll out about 11 or midnight that night. And we finished our set. It was early. It was a festival. So we finished about 6 or 7. So we go back, and we're all, you know, into deep into this oyster bar vibe. And then we realized that not only is the, is the oyster bar free for the artists so is the tiki bar vibe so oh, yeah. we 
got deep into Tiki Bar Land, Oyster Bar Land, and then a friend of one of one of the band guys said, "Hey, you know, we've got um, we've got this RV kind of parked on the other side of the buses, and we've got all you know, we've got a fridge full of Jello shots." And so I was talking with one of the crew guys. I'm like, "Hey, uh, to be sure, my the black fiddle case gets gets onto the bus because I need to take it in in and." You know, have a little bit of setup stuff looked at it. Sure, no problem. So we proceed to go to the Jello shots and and uh, get tucked in pretty deep. And this is after the oysters and the tiki bar. So now we're doing yeah. Jello shots at a beach festival in Panama City, Florida. Awesome. And there's this building under construction, like right out, like behind the festival. And we're we're all looking at it, going, "This is really weird." There's all these beautiful trees and you know palm trees, and the weather's nice. And, Here's this building that's got all these sheets hanging from the windows. It's under construction. One of the guys hanging out there uh, in the Jello Shot RV uh, worked for the local, uh, like the local police and the folks uh, working the festival. He was sort of a, an overseer of security. And he was like, "Man, in that building behind those sheets are snipers. There are three snipers up there because of all the incidents at festivals, like particularly Vegas." With the shooting that happened, um, now these these big festivals, these police departments are posting snipers everywhere. So everybody's you know taking these jello shots, going, oh, that just sounds like some bullshit, you know, whatever. And dude, I swear, like we walk out of this RV, look up at the building, and one of the sheets kind of like blows to the side, and man, there's a freaking dude with a rifle and a scope, you could see the, the the light reflect off the end of his scope overlooking the festival. And so, of course, we're all like, whoa, man, this, is, this is for real. Like, there's snipers up here. We need to do some jello shots about it. <laughs> we need to do some jello shots. And then it was, we realized, okay, we probably need to get our stuff together, get, get our stuff rounded up, head back to the bus. Well, of course, we need to dip back into the oyster bar one more time. So we got tucked in. Crew guys are still there hanging out. Everybody's laughing and merry. Everybody hops on the bus. And then about four in the morning, I wake up and I, I'm thinking, man, I need to get in my fiddle case and get, you know, I need to be sure I have my sunglasses and my wallet and everything. And so I have that in my main case. And I, I started sort of looked around for the, the glasser case, the black case, and didn't see it. I thought, well, maybe it's in the bay under the bus wasn't there i didn't unload of course any of the crew guys unloaded all this stuff to the uh the locker in nashville where they keep all the gear and uh like a couple days later i get this call from the tour manager for thomas Rhett, another big country artist who is at this festival he's like hey man i think uh i think we have your fiddle with us and i'm going which fiddle What, what are you talking about and he's like well it's a black case with a yellow strip of gaff tape, and it says Ross Holmes on it. It's pretty obvious it's yours, man. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, man. They left my fiddle at the oyster bar. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but it, well, I got it back in one piece. It was all great. Totally fine. Got the setup work that I needed. Uh, it, fortunately, it wasn't my main instrument, but, you know, at least it was safe and sound, discovered by, you know, some other patrons of the oyster bar backstage and right. uh man it, it made it made it unscathed back to nashville but it was a bit of a runaround and you know well, it was under sniper protection you know 
It was under sniper protection, oyster shell protection, and tiki bar protection. So <laughs> things could have been worse for the fiddle, <laughs> but it's a good one. <laughs> That's awesome. What about you? Have you left a fiddle somewhere? Man, not a fiddle, but I left my trumpet somewhere when I was a kid. Um, I was going to my grandparents' house for the weekend, and we were moving stuff from like my parents' trunk to my grandparents' trunk, and we'd met in a town that we used to live in, but we didn't live there anymore. But it was sort of halfway between the two houses, right? Yeah. So Grandma Grandpa drove, and we drove to this lot, Charlotte, Michigan, to this little town. And uh, and I got all my stuff out of my parents' trunk and put it behind my Grandma Grandpa's car. And then, we, you know, we're talking because Grandpa hadn't popped the trunk yet. And, and then we all get in and leave. And uh, we get back to their house, and I go to pop the trunk to get my stuff out. And my heart just stopped because there was nothing in the trunk. Oh man! And I'm like, it occurs to me that I didn't. It, I, we left it in the road. You know, they're parallel parked on the side of the road. I just, oh. I, my trumpet's just in the road, and this is before no. cell phones. So we call a friend of ours that I've been in scouts with, who lived near that park, and ask them, you know, can you run over here? And they go over there. They come back. They call. They no, we don't have your trumpet. So I guess we got the idea. We call the police department. So we call the Charlotte, Michigan Police Department. They go, yeah, man, we've got your trumpet sitting right here. Somebody called us and said that it was here, and we went and got it. So, you know, we haven't, my grandparents and I have not told my parents at this point. So we drive back to Charlotte, get the trumpet, everything's fine. And, and we've agreed that, like, there's no way that we're telling mom and dad about this. It's just not going to happen. So for probably the next literally 10 years, my grandma will tell everybody she knows this story, but she always she makes them put up their right hand and swear to secrecy that they will not tell my parents. <laughs> so, you know, finally, we figured the statute of limitations had run out or whatever. We finally told my folks. and Yeah, yeah. So not, not like a super crazy story, but it did involve, like, having to go bail my trumpet out of the police station. Out of the police station, man. Well, you're so lucky it didn't get smushed or... Yeah, exactly. It was a silver trumpet that, you know, we, my parents had sort of scraped to buy this thing for me. And, you know, we we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. So it was, you know, it was a a significant financial investment and just leaving it in the road would probably not have gone well for me. How old were you at this time? Uh, probably eighth grade. Okay. So it's not, you know, kids are fairly forgetful. Teenagers, it's, I mean, there, there are excuses for it. But, I mean, you did leave your trumpet. That does suck. But you got yeah. it back. <laughs> yeah, got it back, you know, thanks to some honest soul in the Charlotte Police Department. Man, see, that's that's the beautiful side of humanity. I think that we've, we've lost touch with with a little bit of that. In fact, this very day, man, so I'm down here in Columbus. There's this really cool uh, space shuttle center here, the Science Museum. And, of course, being the space junkie I am, I went over and checked out this uh, – shuttle exhibit and hopped in a simulator it was pretty cool uh but then walking out i saw this um uh like art book sitting on this bench outside the uh uh the museum and it had this beautiful drawing of this like woman slash kind of cat on the front and it was somebody had done this and so i i opened it up just to see if there was a name or something i was going to take it back inside and uh Man, it was really cool. It was left there by somebody intentionally, and it said, you know, this is a free art book for you to doodle in, and, and uh, if you find this, then make a little post on Facebook and, and tag us and sort of pay it forward thing, and 
it was really cool. It was the opposite of uh, what I was expecting to to discover in the book. Somebody left it there on purpose instead of accident. Yeah, you know? that's awesome. Should you draw a picture of a fiddle and then you're going to take it down the road and leave it somewhere? I might do that, man. That's that's. I think it's a cool idea. I might uh, draw something in it, tag it, leave it someplace, and then maybe somebody else will uh, find it and contribute to it, and then leave it someplace else, and we'll just kind of keep it. Keep it going, man. Maybe it'll make its way to a Cary, North Carolina, and you'll find it at that uh, cookout under a bench or something. There you go. I'll make sure you spill some barbecue sauce on it and then draw a face on it. Little musky stains. That's right. <laughs> Next is Joe Denizon from episode 13. We'll be listening to Chunga Changa from his album, Adventures of Stratospherius. Yeah, so what's your what's your separated from your instrument story? Well, you know, I've lived just about every anxiety dream except the one where I'm standing on stage naked. I haven't lived that one yet, but you know, give it time. Give it time. But you know, I've I've done gigs where I have no idea what I'm playing, who I'm playing with, or you know, all my stuff freezing. I have no sound. I mean, anything you possibly imagine has happened to me. You know, middle of a dramatic solo in front of a thousand people, everything goes dead. I got no sound. Uh, but never happened that I forgot my instrument uh, to, to bring it to a gig um, until last August. So I was really sleep deprived. We were back from a vacation. I was really feeling kind of dopey. And I, I had this wedding gig out uh, in a place called The Sands, which is a uh, very hoity-toity beach club in Atlantic Beach in Queens. Um, not far from Long Beach, where Paul Ranieri lives. And the commute from my house in North Jersey is like a two-hour commute during rush hour. It's, it's the worst commute in the world. I can't stand it. you got to take like three bridges and pay tolls, and it's, it's a nightmare. So I, I get there, and I brought... I had the violins ready in the other room. I had my electric and my acoustic, um, and uh, I forgot them. And I, I happened to have my mandolin in the car, you know, but I needed to play violin on most of the gig. It was like a five-hour gig. So I had no violin, and I wasn't about to go all the way back home and all the way back. The gig would have been over. So I start thinking, my first thought is, who do I know in Queens? Who do I know within an hour driving radius that might be able to help me out? You know, and I I called a few people, and everyone was busy working that night. Um, And I thought of renting a violin, but, you know, the local music store wouldn't have one with a pickup. Um, I ended up playing one-hour mandolin and harp duo, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I finally called Asher Laub. I don't know if you, you've heard of Asher Laub. He's a, yeah, yeah, of course. He's a DJ electric violinist. Um, he's like a Jewish D-sharp. Yeah. And he plays an LED violin, and he dances. He's a good dancer. He, he's got, like, all this stuff going on. I've, I've worked for him a bunch of times. He, he's a cat you should uh, get to know. Very interesting guy. So yeah. he lived about 30 minutes away from, from, from that venue, and it was, a, like, Wednesday night or something. And I was really lucky that he wasn't working, because usually midweek, uh, if you're doing the Orthodox Jewish gigs, you're in the summertime, good chance you're busy. So I just happened to catch him. He was home. So he actually drove over and let me borrow his backup violin. Now, he had a backup LED violin that he would lend out, because the LED violin thing is becoming very popular. I'm getting more and more calls uh, to play with DJs, to play EDM, playing. They want the light-up violin. It's becoming a sure. thing, you know? So I'm probably going to invest in one, you know, soon. But in the meantime, this is the violin he would lend to me. 
Um, and I remember it was like he has what's the the one that you guys sell the, the, for about yeah the Aurora the Aurora he has an Aurora but then he has some Chinese imitation LED violin that he got for cheap as a backup. Now this thing literally fell apart. It was it snapped in half like the body of it snapped in half. Oh, okay, man. he couldn't figure out. He, no adhesive would, would keep it together. He tried all kinds of things. We tied it. We found some adhesive that sort of kept it together. I don't remember what it was. I was trying to help him with it. We tied it together with string. It was barely holding it together. I'm like, I was telling. This was uh, in June. We fixed this thing. Fixed with very using the word very loosely. And I told him he should just let it go. I don't know why. <laughs> just get a new one. But he he kept, he had it. Um, so he brought it to me, and it was still it broken in half, barely held together by this little string. And he bought me a bow that had, like, two hairs left on it. I don't know why oh, he did this. Maybe, you know, to be to be ironic or to teach me a lesson. He could have brought right. me a better instrument. I was just grateful that he showed up. So long story short, I, I, I this was the longest four hours of my life. The guy kept calling on me to take shreddy solos, and I was struggling to keep this thing together, you know, <laughs> from falling apart. <laughs> Let alone in tune, you know, because it was completely going out of whack. It, it was a nightmare. So, you know, I swore never again. <laughs> lesson learned: never again will I forget my instrument. I, I hope I oh, stick to that. But that was that was a hell night for sure. No doubt. But at least he was there. You know, he, he was able to help me out. So uh, I just kept my cool and, and tried calling everybody. You know, and that's what you got to do in this situation. Right. Awesome. This is Val Vagoda from episode 19. The background music is from her release, Just Getting Good. Okay. So I've lost my Viper twice. And one time was about 10 years ago. And I was taking the Metro North train from Mount Vernon, New York to Grand Central. And I had a backpack also. And I had a couple stops to make. And I had my, uh, I had one Viper with me and I had it in the luggage rack overhead and I just left it in the train and walked out into Grand Central and felt really great because, probably because I didn't have much to carry <laughs> and uh, I just waltzed through the station and uh, I got out of the station and I actually got to my first appointment which was, uh, I was being friends um, before I had to do anything musical but I just as I was walking down the sidewalk, I just realized that it wasn't with me, and just my stomach dropped out, you know, that horrible pit of your stomach feeling of the abyss that you know, you've done something so stupid, and I raced back to Grand Central as fast as I could, and it turns out that they have a lost in town, and uh, I went to a little dark um, room where they have the lost and found, and it was right there, really nice. Um, male guard was there and he gave me the instrument back and wanted to know all about it and uh, so I had it back immediately within half an hour which was oh amazing. my goodness and it restores you know my faith in humanity <laughs> uh, and I guess stuff like that happens all the time people leave things overhead they don't think about it when they stand up they don't see it it's not in their line of sight and um, they just routinely connect, collect them all and <laughs> give them back to people at, at the lost and found and uh, wow. I thought I had learned my lesson, but then, <laughs> then just a couple months ago, I was in the airport um, in Seattle, Airport at the Alaska Airlines check-in area, 
And this time I had two vipers with me, and they were bungee corded together in the hook cases. And so when they're like that, I can just stand them up, and they make a little teepee, a little viper sure. teepee. And so I was doing all my check-in, and this time I had a ton of stuff with me. I had my two big suitcases because I was on my way to do a whole live looping concert. And so I was all concerned about the weight of the bags and all that stuff. Right. And so I checked in the bag, and uh, and then I just walked away and, and <laughs> left them sitting there. And once again, in a great mood, you know, waltzing through the airport, probably because I wasn't carrying anything. Right. And, uh, and this time I didn't notice it at all until... Um, the, the, the nice man who worked for Alaska came running up behind me um, with them. He, he followed me, trailed me through the airport, and I had earbuds in, so I wasn't even listening at all. He had to go a really oh, far man. way. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so he gave them back right away. Again, this time it was in five minutes. And um, he was so sweet and wanted to know all about the instruments. And so I've, just, I've only had really lovely experiences using my Vipers, um, thankfully. Yeah, no doubt. Man, just what an awful feeling when you get off, when you realize in New York City that, oh crap, I don't have my violin. (laughs) It's so awful. Then you think of those stories of, you know, Yo-Yo Ma leaving his violin in the back of a cab or something, and it's gone forever. Um, It's not Yo-Yo Ma. Um, uh, Somebody else. Yeah, it was Yo-Yo Ma. He left his cello in a cab. Oh, it was Yo-Yo Ma. His Stradivarius cello. That's right, that's right. Uh, even harder to think of leaving because it's so you know much bigger. But yeah, well, that's actually what what made us think about doing this episode is we're at NAMM and me and Chuck and Raz were riding in an Uber and yeah. we're telling stories like that and we're like, you know how awesome it would be to just have a podcast episode with all the rock star violinists just telling stories about losing their stuff and I went, well, I guess I'll do it. So. <laughs> Make it so. Next, we'll hear from Jesus Florido, episode 25. The background music is from his album, Heading North. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I've been thinking of stories for you. And I have, uh-huh. like, oh, my God. One day, my, one of my, the first one that jumped to mind, I was in college, and my teacher was loaned a, a big violin. It's very various. And he lent it to me to play a recital. And uh, I went home and I practiced for a day. I had, it, I had it for two days. The day before the recital and for the recital. So I went home and I just practiced a lot. And the next morning, I'm going back, back to campus. And I grabbed the violin and I'm grabbing all my stuff because I'm going to spend my bags and my coffee. Putting all this stuff in my car. I set the violin on the side. I got in my car and I left. And I left the violin in the driveway. I left a $4 million violin in the driveway. Wonderful. Yep. And, uh, but because, because, hey, hey, but wait, wait, don't judge. Don't judge. I know I'm in their head. My mom told me when I was a kid that if I didn't have my head attached, I would lose it. So <laughs> as I'm driving away from my house, maybe half a block or a block away, I'm going through my list. Okay, coffee, music, um, change clothes for later, blah, 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 violin, violin, but oh, crap, <laughs> you turn, you know, so I didn't go very far, but I did forget it, I came back and it wasn't right there, sitting on the drive, 
So, so uh, <laughs> another day, I went to a photo shoot where I, uh, I was in, in Indianapolis, and I was I was actually on the cover of the Indianapolis Star. It's a big shot article, you know, about me and the work that I'm doing in the city and with the teaching and kids and blah blah blah. And I show up to the to the photo shoot for the, I've done the article already, but they needed some pictures. And I showed up to the photo shoot without a violin. I forgot them, totally forgot the violin. Oh my so, goodness. Yes, and I'm get there so, and they say, Where's your violin? And they go like, Oh crap. <laughs> you wanted me to but, bring that? You, no, I they told me I had to bring it. No, no, no. They have told they told me that I have to bring it. And luckily it was not too far and I called my roommate because I didn't have a car. I called my roommate and he had a car and he ran over. He had to wait like 20 minutes, but he ran over and brought it to me. So, yes, I am an airhead. I have fun. Forgetting my violin, man, I have forgotten in so many places. This, I think that's one of the things that you talked about once. Um, I went to a gig. I was playing a gig in Chicago at a church. It was a church gig. You know, good money. and But it was far. It was like an hour away from me. And uh, I had gotten into a fight with my ex-wife. And I just ran out of the house, jumped in my car, and drove to my gig. And when I got there, I had forgotten the money again. Uh-huh. You know. And I couldn't, I mean, it was one of the most embarrassing moments in my life. And I went inside and I said, I apologize. But I left my violin. I mean, uh, and oh my God, I, that was the last time. That was it. That was the very last time that I forgot my violin. I don't leave anywhere without, I don't go through a door the second that I have my violin with me. But that was the most, if, if, if you want to quote me on the most embarrassing moment of my life, I think, that was one. So what, what happened? Here. You just couldn't play? Well, I, it was it was like 30 minutes for the gig for, before the concert started. If I drove back home with an hour, by the time I drove back, the concert would be done. So, sure. no, I did not play. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. It was, so, I mean, I've, and so irresponsible. And that's so not me, you know. But it was a bad situation. This is this is around the time that I was actually getting divorced from my wife, and it was it was a terrible situation for me. And and not to give excuses because I'm one of those people that no excuses. You know, you have to be a professional, right? But uh, but man, that was that was both embarrassing and, and awful. That I still have a pit in my stomach even when I talk about it, uh. and I talk about it. A lot, and I've said it many times, just to try to cleanse myself <laughs> and to, you know, to to make sure that I never do that again. You know, and it's funny when I'm walking around without my violin, I feel uncomfortable because I've had the violin attached to me for so long that I've always checked my phone, my wallet, and my violin. You know. <laughs> That's all. <awesome>. Uh, <laughs> This next storyteller is one who we have not highlighted yet. I have an interview with Dr. David Wallace in the can. I just haven't released it yet. Dr. Wallace is the head of the string department at the world-famous Berklee College of Music in Boston. As you'll hear, he's a consummate teacher. He's an amazing composer and player, but he really shines when he's teaching. 
He truly puts an incredible amount of thought into the process of thinking, writing, and performing. And you'll definitely hear that in his story. The music is from his album, Nahum, What a Friend. So you've got some stories about uh, violins or violas getting left behind? Yeah, I think the the stories um, that I have to tell, uh, well, I guess I, I can think of three stories. I don't know that you need all three of them, but two involved my acoustic violin and one involved my acoustic viola. Um, but I think for me, the, the equation for losing an instrument is um, exhaustion, stress, and distraction you know it's like those are the things that cause us to lose our instruments and in me two of the three incidents were when i was on tour so um so i think we have to be extra vigilant when we're tired or when we're out of our usual surrounds or usual routine or perhaps surrounded by a lot of people you know i I don't think i've had as many incidents of losing my instrument when i'm totally alone but, um, yeah, the very first time it happened, I mean, you never forget the first time. It's kind of weird. It's like it never happens to you, then it does, and then it happens more often, and so you don't even remember all the times. But the first time, it, it scares the life out of you. Um, the first time I left an instrument anywhere was in 2001, December. I was on a tour of the South with this Christmas show called The Lights of Christmas. And so I was playing fiddle and viola and doing a little bit of backing vocals and also had a little bit of acting where there was one skit where I was portraying a grandpa who was stealing a Christmas tree from someone else's property. You know, it's kind of that that Southern white trash thing of going <laughs> to someone else's property and sawing down their tree and taking it to your your home. Uh, I never, awesome. I never did anything like that in real life, but I'm, I'm told it happened. So in any case, um, you know, it was a pretty exhausting trip, and we had done a concert. Well, I guess you know, show performance, and it was a long show. I mean, it, it probably with intermission about two and a half hours, and you know, of course, you had to help with hair down and wait for merch sales and everything and uh you know so we had this performance at wallace state community college i think was what it was they had a really large good professional venue but you know we were under rehearsed the show was way too complicated for what it was trying to do and of course just about anything that could go wrong went wrong you know it was a decent enough performance but there's plenty of feedback issues and other things so after all was said and done, we went to a huddle house, which is kind of the Alabama equivalent of a waffle house. This was all Arab Alabama. Um, I'm not sure what the population is, but you can look it up. So we went and had waffles, pancakes, and whatever. So this is about midnight, and we're all pretty knackered and worn out. And then, uh, then we go. That was actually where the the singer-songwriter who had put this whole show together and was kind of the star lived. And so we were sleeping, you know, at his parents. And his dad loved fiddle music and stuff. And so we were, you know, I I think he had just picked up a fiddle and was learning to play and, you know, was wanting to get some advice on something. I'm like, well, well, here, let me show you. And then I noticed that I don't have a case anywhere you know it's like where's my fiddle 
Where is my fiddle? And my blood just runs cold. It's like, like we must have left it at the huddle house. Let's go back now. And so we go back. It's one in the morning. We walk in the door, and there's our booth, and there's nothing. Oh, and man. my heart just sank, and I'm about to just, you know, collapse on the floor crying. They said, oh, are, are you the one, are you the musicians, right? And it's like, yes. Did by any chance they said, yeah, we got your fiddle back here. You know, we, we figured it was important, so we put it back in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. They put it back in my hands, and I just hugged it. And I was just kind of stunned for like the rest of the night. I'm just like, and I just kept saying, this has never, I've never done this. I've never done this. And just, just was out of my mind. Um, and so I was, I was, you know, pretty good, pretty vigilant. And I hadn't left my instrument anywhere for a while. I mean, I'm, I tend to be inseparable. And even in restaurants, I'll hook the strap around my feet, you know, just so that just in case, you know, just in case I get stupid enough to to try to walk out without it, I'll trip myself, you know, right. so kind of a, <laughs> my fail safe, you know, my go-to is just, okay, just strap yourself in that way, um, that way it won't happen. But the next time that was a pretty major thing was, I think it must've been 2007 or 2008, but it was in Japan. And I was on a tour with the teaching artist ensemble of the New York Philharmonic. And so we were doing all these concerts and schools and community centers across Japan, as well as doing some workshops, training musicians to be educators and do, and do community engagement work. And the guy who hosted us had us on a really extreme itinerary as well. You know, no downtime, a lot of uh, travel. To different parts of things, and you know, there was also some. I mean, a friend of mine categorized him. She said, you know, he's like the one of the worst possible people to run things because he's like the he's like a disorganized control freak. People can be disorganized or they can be control freaks, but if you got a disorganized control freak, you're in for a world of pain. And you know, yeah. like so, there were some situations like you know, we were waiting for two hours on a cold bus you know, at a train station waiting for a translator to get there. You know, it's like, why didn't you get them on a train that was closer to where we are? Or why didn't you just go ahead and take us to the village where they were staying and then come back, you know? But in any case, that was the kind of stuff we were dealing with. And so right towards the end of the tour, everybody's like, David, you're the senior teaching artist here. You're very rational. You know how to talk to this guy. You've got to take this bullet train ride and you need to talk some sense into him and you need to na- you need to navigate these issues and you need to negotiate all these points so that the last few days of this tour are not going to have the same kinds of nonsense that we've been putting up with. And so we had this long ride and, you know, I think we're going from, uh, gosh, we're, we're on our way back to Tokyo or no, not Tokyo, uh, Nagoya. But I'm talking to him, we're having this good conversation, and then we get to this city where we're changing trains, and we get off on the platform, and I'm still talking to him, and uh, my friend Katie Kresick says, David, where's your violin? And I realized I'd left it on the rack in top of the bullet train, and I dashed back in the train, got out, and the train left like three seconds later. Ooh. You know, so 
you know, and again, you, you have that adrenaline rush. <laughs> so my heart's just beating. I'm like, man, <laughs> this could have ended badly. But then I also thought, you know, of all the places to leave your fiddle on a train, Japan would probably be the best because, you know, it'd get where it's going on time. I'm sure they would, uh, you know, no one would run off with it. They would catalog it. And, you know, my friend who was, I had been talking to, I'm sure would have freaked out and made sure that he would have gotten it back and all that, you know, but it was, it's just one of those unnecessary things. And again, that was a place I was exhausted. That was about a full week into a grueling tour where we're putting in about, you know, but if you want to count travel, probably easily 14-hour days with no break. And, and of course, pretty bad jet lag, because I think that was about a 13-hour time difference. Jet lag is another kind of reason that we can get ourselves mixed up. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can leash myself in when my instrument's on a plane or a train, but, you know, it's I think it's almost like you have to do kind of a body check. I mean, the good thing about being a freelancer is, I mean, you know how it is. It's like you're, if you're walking down the sidewalk or getting into a car without an instrument or without, a, without gear, something feels wrong. Yeah. You know, and so it's like I've, I've had those moments of walking down the street and then all of a sudden having a panic where it's like my body just suddenly seizes and it's like I, something's wrong. I'm not wearing a backpack. I don't have an instrument strap on me. My hands are empty. Something is physically wrong. And so I think that's kind of a useful alarm system, but, you know, it's, it's not going to prove fail safe in all situations. Right. Next, we'll hear from Sarah Sharness, a.k.a. Sarah Pink Violin, from episode 15. I caught her while she was giving her son a bath, so you may hear some background noise. Rockstar living at its finest. And we'll listen to some disco killers featuring Sarah herself. Okay, so here's my story. This is probably fans over the worst. And again, I apologize if you guys hear my son in the background. So this is probably the worst thing that ever happened to me to this day. I will never forget this feeling of total loss and despair when my violin was stolen out of a hotel room in Las Vegas. Basically, oh, no. we were staying somewhere very, very nice the night of the gig. And I think we're staying like a nice hotel. And then I got to the airport at six in the morning and New York was completely snowed in. I had to find a, like a quick place to stay for the basically the next day. And I was going out of my own pocket. I didn't want to spend a ton of money. So I like went to this hotel that probably wasn't that great and I probably shouldn't have been there. And I check in and I go down to get something to eat because I'm starving at this point. And when I come back upstairs, my violin is literally gone from the room. They had taken my whole suitcase as well. And I was like running up and down the halls, freaking out. Found my suitcase oddly in the stairwell of the hotel. Somebody had obviously like really rifled through it. And interestingly enough, they left everything there. All the sound gear was left, nothing was taken except for my violin, which is just so strange. And the violin's gone. And so I go to the Las Vegas Police Department. I am like beside myself crying. And it's my viper, of course. And um, I file a police report. They're like, you know, best of luck to you. We hope it turns up. We're going to do our best. Then I get a call like two days later from a detective there. He's like, oh my gosh, I've seen you play. You were in TSO. Great, amazing. Okay, 
loves TSO. That's fantastic. So we have a little like thing going on. Detective Raider was his name. Super nice guy. And he makes it his mission to find this instrument because he so like loved watching TSO. And I was like, okay, this is sorry. My son in the background. Anyway, he made it his mission to find this instrument. This is like four or five, six pawn shops looking for it. And lo and behold, not so far away from where I was staying, it was in one of the pawn shops. It had been pawned off for like $100. I'm not even kidding. It was literally $100. And it was a drug dealer that found it. And um, the drug dealer had sold it and from a pawn shop. And lo and behold, four days later, I got a call from the detective that they had found it. And a friend of mine who lives in Las Vegas went to get it up from the police station. And I still write Detective Raider a little note once a year just thanking him for finding my instrument for me. Um, so that's my story. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a horrible, horrible thing to have happened, but a very happy ending. And I, I remember... What would, me, what would make me angrier? The fact they stole it or the fact they sold it for 100 bucks? I, I think the 100 bucks is what really infuriates me. I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, you were really desperate. Like, you needed that, like quick fix or you know whatever but um apparently it's not an uncommon occurrence at this particular hotel so who knows oh man anyway so that's my quick story for you i <laughs> if you're not awesome. recording I, I have to actually run because my son is literally in the back yeah, yeah run back to the world you got you got rock star stuff to do thanks so much for talking of Sarah. course i'm so glad we got in touch Here's a story from Scott Laird, who we featured in episode 32. As a warning, this is not a happy story. But at least we get to listen to his band Believer while he's talking. So so my story, I know everybody just got back from NAM, and my story is actually a NAM story. Uh, it was my first trip to NAM, and this was back in... It was in the mid-90s. I'll say probably around 96 or 97. And uh, uh, my work with Believer had kind of wound down. It came to an end and uh, at that time. And uh, I was playing in a trio with uh, Joey Dobb, the drummer from Believer, and Ted Hermanson, who had engineered our last record, Dimensions, and me. And we were doing, it was, for me, it was, kind of when I first was learning to improvise and um, we were doing sort of like what I would call a Jean-Luc Ponty knockoff sort of a thing. It was bass, electric violin, and drums. And, uh, and um, I was playing at the time a Zeta Stratos violin that had been given to me by Mike Marshall uh, of mandolin fame. And uh, David Grisman, and he had, you know, played with all, all the greats, played with Daryl Angle a lot, and then had, in those days, he had the Modern Mandolin Quartet. And Mike and I had become friends through some education stuff that we had done together, and that's a long story. But one day, we were uh, hanging out, and he said, hey, Scott, I know you're doing this stuff with this metal band. I think you'd probably uh, really like playing an electric violin, and I had never played one before. And he said, I've got one here in San Francisco. He said, let me mail it to you and you can, you know, give it a shot. So I uh, came home from work one day and there was a Zeta Stratos on my porch that had been mailed from Mike. And it was the first electric violin I ever put my hands on. And uh, I just 
obviously fell in love right away. And um, and things had moved along, and we were uh, uh, doing this band. And at the time, I was working with Zeta Music, and they asked me if our trio could come down to NAMM in Nashville in the summertime and uh, play a show. And I remember this is when Zeta was with Gibson, and um, it was sort of like a Gibson showcase night at a restaurant called the Spaghetti Warehouse in in um, Nashville. So we were situated, we were going to be situated in sort of like the lobby of the Spaghetti Warehouse to play on a Saturday night, I think. So my my bandmates and I got in a van, we rolled down towards Nashville, and we drove from, they were in Pennsylvania, they picked me up in D.C., and then we rolled on down to Nashville. We got in really late. It was probably three in the morning when we got there, and uh, we um, were just bleary-eyed and made a rookie mistake and didn't haul everything out of the van into the hotel. And uh, I, I remember I grabbed uh, a couple of violins that I had, but I didn't grab all of them. And one of them that I didn't grab was the Zeta that Mike had given to me. And uh, uh, we uh, got up the next morning ready to sort of start our day and sort of get our bearings. And we went out to the van and the windows were smashed out and a bunch of stuff was stolen out of our van. And that was my Zeta. And it turned out that that Zeta was actually one of the very first prototype Zetas that was ever made and Mike had it he had basically given it to me and uh, it disappeared I never I never saw it again it's not, it doesn't have a happy ending because that was the end of it but uh, uh, we got with police and all the stuff and it was just a complete rookie mistake that I never made again and I never will make again and I got separated from that instrument and I've, I've wanted to see it again I would pay just about anything to have it again and we never could get our hands back on it Oh, man, that's heartbreaking. It, it really was. And as it turned out, uh, uh, some other stuff was missing. Some of the hardware, uh, we had left some hardware from the drums was stolen. And uh, I think a head for one of the bass amplifiers was stolen. And uh, we managed to piece together our enough of, a, of, a, of our stuff to, have a, to do a set. But obviously, it was one of the worst trips I've ever made as well. And uh, we were just, we were devastated. We ended up playing the show. But it certainly wasn't what it was set out to be. And like I said, lessons are hard learned at that level. But that's uh, that's the time that I got separated from an instrument that I've never seen again and would certainly give just about anything to have that instrument back in my hands again. So, so uh, lesson learned. <laughs> right? Yeah, never, ever leave them in a car. Never, never. And like I said, it was a rookie mistake and, and one that I've never made again since. For sure. Hopefully, everybody else will learn from that too. They won't. Uh, they won't do the same thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Some someone clearly had their eyes on us as we rolled into Nashville, and uh, they they spotted us. There's no doubt. Man. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but lessons tough learned, and and it's one of those separated from the instrument, and and never never got back. So, so, uh, uh, but we moved forward and. And things all worked out in the end, but but not not at that not at that day. That was a rough day. Yeah. Here's a really funny story from Hayden Vitera, hopefully to bring your spirits back up. Hayden was featured in episode 28. 
And we can listen to Cascabel from his project Tequila Rock Revolution. Hey, Brother Matt. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, so my Lost Instrument story is uh, pretty funny, I guess. Uh, back in the fall of 2003, when I joined the uh, legendary Grammy-winning Sleep at the Wheel from here in Austin, Texas. And I was just so excited to be playing Twin Fiddles with Jason Roberts and that whole band and, and hopping on a tour bus with them uh, around September 2003. So this probably would have been a month after I started, you know. October, November of uh, that year, and we were going on, a, I guess, one of the first big road trips that we were going on out to California, and so I got to the got to the venue. We parked there at Bismo Studio. Everybody was just parked there, all their cars there, and that's where the bus was stationed. So we got there, and I'm loading all my stuff on. I make sure I got my, my clothes, my, you know, computer, all that stuff. Get on the bus, start talking with the guys. The time is going to be fun, hanging out in the front lounge. We get about, bus takes off, we get about five miles down the road, and I got that thinking, punch-in-the-gut feeling that all of us get when we know that we screwed up or scared that we screwed up. And I went back to the bunk, was where I always put my fiddle. It wasn't there. I totally forgot my fiddle in my car. So that's bad enough, right? But the, the worst thing is that uh, Ray Benson, the leader, of the Sleep at the Wheel, who started in 1970, Texas icon, you know, a, you know, member of everything around here, he had to grab my fiddle for me and fly with it, because he wasn't on the bus, he was flying out to meet us. And so, one of the very first gigs with these guys, and I've got the boss dragging my fiddle along, where he had to check a bag, um, and usually he would just zip in and out and the tour manager ray wasn't actually really upset with me the tour manager kind of put the fear of god in me he said oh dude ray's not going to be happy about that he does not like to wait for bags anyway so luckily um uh, we parked our cars there at the, at the studio and my keys we left we would all leave our keys at the studio on the rack there so it was they were at least able to get my fiddle out but the big boss man had to bring it to me and i was really embarrassed and, and uh he just kind of, I can't remember exactly what he said, but something to the tune of like, well, where's your head at, dude? So anyway, uh, I didn't lose a gig. I kept it, and I played with him for two and a half more years. Rock and roll, but uh, I learned my lesson. From now on, any bus, the fiddle goes on first. All right, so that's just about it for this episode. This has been a lot of fun for me, and I hope it has for you, too. We have a bunch more stories from other rock star violinists. I guess we'll just have to do a second Lost episode. I will sign off with the advice from Kyla Vera from all the way back in episode five. Her band, Metalachi, who we're listening to right now, has an insane following. So she never lets her violin out of her sight. In fact, she even takes it to the bathroom with her. So she started tagging me in all of her bathroom selfies and venues across the U.S. So give Kyla a follow and look for her bathroom selfies with her custom violin. Uh, that's how we roll here at Rockstar Violinist. We will catch you next time. Lie, a free, a lie, a sin,